0: This e Cystic Fibrosis Review podcast is presented by DKB Med Radio.
1: Depression and anxiety are distressing for the parent, caregiver. They create suffering in and of themselves, but there's also an emotional impact on the child.
0: Anxiety, Depression, and Cystic Fibrosis. Welcome to e Cystic Fibrosis Review. Can we improve outcomes in patients with cystic fibrosis by better addressing their mental health issues? How does managing parental anxiety and depression impact their child's well being? Those are our questions, and we're here to discuss some answers with Dr. Anna Georgiopoulos, Assistant Clinical Professor of Psychiatry at Massachusetts General Hospital. Dr. Georgiopoulos' disclosures and additional CME information can be found on our website. Please go to ecysticfibrosisreview.org and click on the Volume 9, Issue 2 link. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of the cystic Fibrosis Review. Dr. Georgiopoulos, thank you for joining us today.
1: I'm glad to be here.
0: Our learning objective is to describe how a parent's mental health can impact their child with cystic fibrosis. So, start us out in the clinic, if you would, please, Dr. Georgiopoulos, with a patient scenario.
1: Sure. Let's think about a 7-year-old boy who has not gained weight since his last CF clinic visit 9 months ago. When it's time for his throat swab, he becomes angry and refuses to open his mouth. His mother is screened with the PHQ-9 and GAD-7, scoring in the moderate range for both depression and anxiety.
0: So, a 7-year-old child is acting out in the clinic, and his mother screens as moderately anxious and depressed. What's the evidence that supports a connection there?
1: Well, we know that depression and anxiety are common in parents caring for children with CF. In the International TIDE study, which screened over 4,100 parents, They found elevated symptoms of depression in 31% of fathers and 37% of mothers, and also elevated anxiety in even more, 36% of fathers and 48% of mothers. Depression and anxiety are distressing for the parent caregiver. They create suffering in and of themselves, but there's also an emotional impact on the child. In the TIDE study, when parents had elevated symptoms of depression or anxiety, there was a more than doubled risk for depression and anxiety symptoms in their adolescent as well. That's especially important in CF because of the impact on the physical health of a child, which is mediated by adherence. Barker and Quitner published a study that showed, for example, that parent depression was associated with decreased adherence to enzymes and then subsequent weight loss in the child with CF.
0: So the mother has symptoms of anxiety and depression, and that affects the child's adherence to his CF therapies, which affects his health.
1: That's a really important point. We know that depression decreases attendance at CF clinic visits. In this case example, the boy that I described has not been following up closely with care. His family last came to clinic nine months ago. The relationship between anxiety and adherence is more complicated and maybe curvilinear.
0: Curvilinear?
1: What that means is that a small amount could be helpful to help us mobilize and think about the importance of taking action when something that's actually critical to our health or lives is happening. However, a large amount could result in feeling paralyzed or avoiding what's making us feel anxious. In this case example, the parent's anxiety could also be what's driving the missed clinic visits. For example, the parent may be aware that the child is struggling with his nutrition and worry about what will the doctor say if his weight is down again. That's why it's so important for members of the multidisciplinary CF team to be nonjudgmental in the way they communicate and instead to express curiosity rather than criticism about any barriers to care. This boy is often uncooperative with routine medical procedures such as throat swabs. So it's also possible that the parent feels anxious and embarrassed and may avoid clinics to prevent that kind of discomfort in herself. However, it's also possible that she wishes to protect her child from pain or discomfort and therefore keeps him away from clinic if she feels like the visit could possibly wait. Unfortunately, that would result in his not receiving the needed medical care and could make it difficult for him to develop the sense of self-efficacy that he'll need for a lifetime of disease self-management.
0: So in a case like the one we're discussing, the mother has symptoms of depression and anxiety that have been identified by screening, what should the clinician do about it? What does the guidance say?
1: Well, Cystic Fibrosis Foundation and European CF Society guidelines recommend offering annual screening to caregivers of children with CF between the ages of birth and 17. So in general, the response would depend on the severity of the symptoms. If there are no symptoms, we'll rescreen in one year. If there are mild symptoms, so in the range of four to nine points on the PHQ-9 or GAD-7, we would provide some education and support and then repeat the screening in three months. If there are moderate to severe symptoms and impairment, for example, with scores in the 10 and above range, then we would treat. It's important to note, though, that screening is not the same as diagnosis and that assessment is required before treatment. That's why we would think about what else might be going on. Some CF centers are using more comprehensive tools such as the psychosocial assessment tool adapted for CF or the PAT-CF that could be used to help identify comorbidities and contributing factors such as financial stress, marital conflict, or parent substance abuse that could be playing a role. Regardless of the concerns that are identified, the CF team can then refer for evidence-based treatment for depression and anxiety, for example, through a parent's primary care provider. And then it's important to follow up any obstacles that are identified to accessing care.
0: So in a situation like the one you've described here, where the CF team has to deal with a child who's avoiding or refusing even the most common procedures, uh, like, like a throat swab or a flu shot, what should the team do? What's your advice?
1: Well, treatment is important, but it's also important to provide prevention for every family. So when a procedure is coming up, provide information beforehand. Who's going to be doing the procedure? Where will it be? Why do you need it? Really concrete kind of information can help manage anxiety. Offering choices also provides a sense of control. So would the child like to watch or not watch when the shot is being given? If there's a throat swab, would he like to stand up or sit down during the throat swab? Would she prefer to have a procedure at the beginning of the visit or at the end of the clinic visit?
0: And during the procedure?
1: During the procedure itself, you can use distraction. So people with CF of all ages could listen to music. You could play a game on a tablet or phone. You could watch a video. And then when things have started to become more difficult, treatment is important. But this could be as simple as a brief intervention in clinic. For example, you could teach a simple relaxation strategy like guided imagery or deep breathing that patients can practice at home before their next procedure. One of the interventions with the strongest evidence for effectiveness is exposure and response prevention.
0: Exposure and response prevention. Talk to us about that, doctor. What is it?
1: Exposure and response prevention is a kind of evidence-based treatment that's useful for many kinds of anxiety. It's a core element of a treatment called cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT. This strategy could be used to address procedural anxiety in the child, but it's also helpful to address the anxiety that a parent may experience and then models for the child. Now, the younger the child is, the more important it is for parents to be involved in mental health treatment so that they can model facing fears rather than accommodating for anxiety, or in other words, giving into anxiety. That's important because we know that avoidance actually increases anxiety over time. It makes you feel better in the moment, but then as time goes on, it gives your body the signal that this really is a dangerous thing and you should just stay away. On the other hand, repeated gradual exposure in a safe setting reduces anxiety over time. So in exposure and response prevention, you would work with a clinician to develop a fear hierarchy. In other words, you might rate various kinds of exposure to what you're afraid of on a scale of 1 to 10. So looking at pictures of needles, you might say, well, that's a 2 out of 10 for me. But watching a video of a shot being given, "Mm, that would be a 5 out of 10. And if I had to hold a cap needle in my hand, that might be a 6 or 7 out of 10. And then you practice each step, starting with things that seem easier and more manageable until it becomes easier. And eventually, you're able to work up to having that shot or doing that procedure that you need to have done.
0: Dr. Georgiopoulos, this has been a very interesting case, and I thank you for bringing it to us. Let's wrap it up now by returning to our learning objective, which is to describe how a parent's mental health can impact their child with cystic fibrosis. What are the key things our listeners need to know?
1: Well, first of all, depression and anxiety are really common in caregivers of children with CF. And CF Foundation, European CF Society guidelines recommend that we screen parents of children with CF from the ages of time of diagnosis to age 17 every year for depression and anxiety using standardized tools, the PHQ-9 for depression and the GAD-7 for anxiety. When we can address the mental health of parent caregivers, that provides us with an opportunity to improve the physical and emotional health outcomes in the child with CF along with the parent. And we should be offering behavioral strategies to every family living with CF so that we can minimize the anxiety and distress that are related to medical procedures.
0: Well, thank you, Doctor. And we'll return with Dr. Anna Georgiopoulos from Mass General Hospital in just a moment. Hi, this is Bob Busker taking a quick break from our discussion with Dr. Anna Georgiopoulos to talk about adherence. You know how important it is for patients to maintain adherence to their CF therapies, What you may not know is just how much new technologies can help, but you can find out in our ECF Review Special Edition issue, Breakthroughs in CF Technology. This special edition reports on the CF Innovation Lab exhibit at NACFC 2019, which showcased some of the currently available technologies that are already helping patients with CF improve their treatment adherence. ECF Review Special Edition: Breakthroughs in CF Technology is CME accredited, and like all ECF Review programs, it's provided without charge. You can access Breakthroughs in CF Technology at ecf.dkbmed.com/se2020. Welcome back to this E-Cystic Fibrosis Review podcast. We've been speaking with Dr. Anna Georgiopoulos. Assistant Clinical Professor of Psychiatry at Massachusetts General Hospital. And we've been talking about parents and children. Now, doctor, our next learning objective is to summarize the options for treating depression and anxiety in adults with cystic fibrosis. So, once again, if you would please, Dr. Georgiopoulos, take us to the clinic.
1: A 26-year-old woman with advanced cystic fibrosis lung disease has noticed symptoms of depression and anxiety for the past year as her disease has been progressing. She expected that her mood would improve once she could access either lung transplantation or highly effective modulator therapy. Unfortunately, although her lung function stabilized once she started alexicafter, tisicafter, ivacafter, she's become increasingly depressed. She feels guilty that she's still alive while others with CF that she has known are not. Her PHQ-9 screen is consistent with severe depression, and her GAD-7 anxiety scores are in the moderate range.
0: So, here's an adult with cystic fibrosis who shows severe depression and moderate anxiety. Question one, why was she screened in the first place?
1: International mental health guidelines recommend annual depression and anxiety screening for adolescents and adults with CF ages 12 and above. Everyone should be receiving preventative interventions from a young age. Those whose score are in the minimal range should rescreen after a year. If people are in the mild range, we want to provide them with psychoeducation and support to prevent their symptoms from getting worse.
0: Do the guidelines suggest appropriate treatment?
1: For most who need treatment, following clinical assessment, if they're in the moderate range and above, for example, we would start by offering evidence-based psychotherapy such as cognitive behavioral therapy or interpersonal therapy. If they have severe anxiety, cognitive behavioral therapy with exposure and response prevention is the recommended treatment per the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation ECFS guidelines. However, in the case of severe depression, it's appropriate to start both medication and psychological interventions at the same time in order to provide the quickest and most robust response.
0: Medications to treat anxiety and depression. How does having cystic fibrosis affect the available choices?
1: the guidelines recommend four selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors or SSRIs as first line for most adolescents and adults with CF who require medications. Most of these medications also have regulatory approval for depression and anxiety in younger children. However, we have to consider both the personal response history and family response history to medications and also the side effect profiles of antidepressants that might be particularly salient to people with CF. For example mirtazapine may be associated with weight gain, whereas bupropion might be associated with weight loss. It's also important to consider the possibility of drug-drug interactions. For example, linazolid is a commonly used antibiotic in CF that could increase the risk of serotonin syndrome when used with some antidepressants. It's also possible that psychotropic medication could add to the risk of QTC prolongation when other CF medications are used. And we also want to be particularly careful when people are taking immunosuppressants for lung transplantations and consider the impact when CFTR modulators are used.
0: I want to hold a moment on that last thing you said, doctor, about the impact when CFTR modulators are used. This patient you brought us is on CFTR modulators, triple therapy with alexicafter, tezicafter, and IvoCafter. what effect might that have in managing mental health in this patient and or for people with CF in general?
1: In the clinical trials of highly effective modulator therapy, there was a great improvement in quality of life. So it's very possible that when people's physical health improves, their mental health also improves. However, there have been some case reports by McKinsey and Tawakar of an increase in depression and anxiety, suicidal thoughts, or behaviors that are temporally associated with the initiation of lumacaftor-ivacaftor combination. Why might this be? Well, there are several hypotheses we could think about. The first is that it's just a coincidence. Depression and anxiety are common in people with CF, and so there's a possibility that depression and anxiety will worsen at the time that a new medication is started. And there's no epidemiologic evidence at this time to support a connection between the two. The second hypothesis could be that an impact could be psychologically driven. In the case we talked about, we heard about some survivor guilt. There's also the possibility that people could feel uncertain about their future plans when their health status changes. The third possibility is that there is an impact of the drug on depression and anxiety, but it's unrelated to the mechanism of CFTR modulation, but rather specific to something else about lumacaftor or ivacaftor. It's also a possibility that there is a direct impact of the drug, but it is related to the mechanism of action of CFTR modulation because we know that CFTR is found in the brain. The fourth hypothesis is that there could be a drug-drug interaction with an SSRI and a CFTR modulator. In particular, we know that there is a drug-drug interaction that occurs between lumacaftor and some SSRIs. There's a drop in the level of citalopram, escitalopram, or sertraline, but not a fluoxetine when lumacaftor is started. This wouldn't be applicable to alexacaftor, tezacaftor, and ivacaftor combination or other CFTR modulators that don't contain lumacaftor.
0: Interesting hypotheses, Dr. Georgiopoulos. Thank you for sharing them. I want to turn now to psychotherapy. To treat depression in an adult with cystic fibrosis, what would psychotherapy focus on?
1: Well, the way that psychotherapy might address depression for someone with CF would depend on the form of psychotherapy that's being used. In cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT, a therapist might prescribe behavioral activation to increase activities that provide pleasure or a sense of mastery, like crossing something important off your list that you've wanted to get done. A therapist who's using ACT or acceptance and commitment therapy might help someone develop acceptance and mindfulness strategies that would help them manage negative emotions while they act in accordance with their values and working to increase their psychological flexibility. If someone is using interpersonal therapy or IPT, they would focus on losses or grief that triggered the current crisis. For example, there could be grief or loss around friends or family members with CF who have died or become sick. And finally, dignity therapy is a form of existential psychotherapy that could help someone with advanced disease to help find meaning and leave a legacy for their loved ones as they approach the end of life.
0: Is there evidence supporting the feasibility and effectiveness of any of these therapies? And I'm talking about specific evidence for individuals with CF.
1: There's a growing amount of evidence for many of these kinds of therapies for people with CF. The CF Care study was a study that integrated mental health screening with larger palliative care project that could be implemented in a CF clinic. Patients were referred for cognitive behavioral therapy, stress management, or psychopharmacology, and they showed improvement in their PHQ-9 depression scores. There are also some randomized clinical trials going on currently of other forms of psychotherapy. For example, the Mass General Group is working on CFCBT and has pilot data that shows improvement in depression, anxiety, and quality of life on the CFQR quality of life scale, and improvement in perceived stress and coping skills. They're currently doing a randomized control trial in adults in the United States and a pilot of an e-health version in the Netherlands. And this group is also developing a downward extension to an adolescent manual. Project Uplift is an example of a multi-center trial that's currently ongoing of virtual group CBT for adolescents and adults with CF. And Virginia O'Hare and colleagues are conducting a multi-center randomized trial of ACT in adults with CF following some promising pilot data that showed improvement in the PHQ-9 and GAD-7. And lastly, Lisa Sher published a case report of dignity therapy in an adult with CF who declined lung transplantation.
0: Thank you for sharing your insights on this case, Dr. Georgiopoulos. I'd like to wrap our discussion up now by revisiting our learning objective. Summarize the options for treating depression and anxiety in adults with cystic fibrosis. What are the key things our listeners need to be aware of?
1: It's important to recognize that depression and anxiety are common in individuals with cystic fibrosis. CF Foundation and European CF Society guidelines recommend that we provide preventative interventions for depression and anxiety to all individuals with CF and that we start screening annually with the PHQ-9 and GAD-7 at age 12, continuing through adulthood. Those who have minimal symptoms of depression and anxiety should be re-screened in a year, while those who have mild symptoms should receive education and supportive interventions. For all individuals with moderate to severe depression or anxiety, psychological interventions should be offered. There are a number of evidence-based options that include cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT, acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT, interpersonal therapy or IPT, and dignity therapy. Pharmacotherapy, most often a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor or SSRI, should also be offered as a first-line treatment for individuals with CF who have severe depression And also when psychotherapy for depression or anxiety is either not feasible to use or not fully effective.
0: Dr. Anna Georgiopoulos, Assistant Clinical Professor of Psychiatry at Massachusetts General Hospital, thank you for participating in this E-Cystic Fibrosis Review podcast.
1: Thank you, Bob. It's been a pleasure.
0: For E-Cystic Fibrosis Review, I'm Bob Busker. To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at ECF. Dot dkbmed.com Cystic Fibrosis Review is supported by educational grants from Vertex Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, Advi Incorporated, GEC USA, and Mylan. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. cystic Fibrosis Review is copyright with all rights reserved by DKB Med LLC. Thank you for listening.